Security is generally like all about trade-offs. If you store your key in a browser extension, yes. you should be worried about like two major things. We can never actually be truly safe. You need to put in more and more energy just to stay alive. Space Monkeys, blasting off with Kirill Pimenov. He is the co-founder of Asimologist, the creators of the Campala Signer. But he also has a very interesting history doing security with Parity. Kirill, very happy to have you on the show. Welcome to Space hey, Monkeys. Nice talking to you. Very nice talking to you. So um, this wallet, which we're going to get to later in the show, um, our audience has seen it on a recent episode of the Friday Dump, where I did the first uh, transaction on it. But this is... Um, probably the most secure or ideal wallet for long-term cold storage of substrate assets today, but potentially other assets in the future. Would, would you say that's yeah. correct? Uh, more secure from the available. Of course, like making an ultimate claim of something being like ultra, like absolutely secure right. is not feasible. And like if someone does that, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh-huh. Being okay. John McAfee level of wipes. But <laughs> okay. uh, this is reasonably secure. And I would argue that there is no current like available commercial offering regardless of the price range which would compare with it when it comes to the substrate based chains so security really is a spectrum there's ultimate security which is probably unattainable and this falls somewhere on that spectrum yeah and like security is generally like all about trade-offs and it is not only trade-offs between security and making like usability sacrifices to make the security but it is also uh, trade-offs between different aspects of security for example it is super easy to have something super confidential by not recording it. Hmm. But then maybe availability, you being able to recall it, is a little bit compromised. So the proper security policy is uh, putting a balance between what is called CIA triad, which is like obvious pun, but like this confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Because if you put something on record oh. and it's available but secretly stored in your safe, yes, like maybe it erodes over time or someone is able to plant something else on top of that, then integrity is violated. And every time we talk about security, like any security trade-off should need to account for like what you exchange in terms of one of the triad for two others. And then it's like, yeah, it's a little bit of a balancing match. Okay, so availability, I guess another word for that would be like access. Yeah, or like in the terms of device, uh, it doesn't break. Like, and from what I've heard from the fields, uh, about half of the ledgers don't survive the 500th transaction signing. They don't. They don't because either buttons or the screen are like pain points for many people. Yeah. Once again, Ledger did a great feat of engineering. Ledger was, I think, the first company on the market as far as I'm aware to bring the hardware signing to this level of both quality and security. And, and mass production too, right? Oh, that is an incredibly painful topic for everyone who is doing hardware. Yes, <laughs> yes okay. okay. Well, let's get there because uh, um, I'd be interested to uh, just hear a little bit about how you got into security, especially in regards to Polkadot. The way you came to Parity was a little bit different than other people's. Oh, yeah. Like, I was employee number 20 and finally enough, I think I'm the only one person in Parity who moved 
like chose parity because I wanted to move to Berlin rather than like choosing parity first and then moving to Berlin as a consequence. So you got here, then you found out about parity or did you know about parity before? Uh, I knew about parity before to the extent that I contributed to some of the open source code as a part of my like hobby uh, afternoon projects. And that was uh, one of the deciding factors for them hiring me as a uh, Rust engineer in mm-hmm. 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I only contemplated parity when I, oh, what are the companies in Berlin which I would like to work at? And Parity was pretty close to the list, so that was a pretty happy like coincidence that they looked for someone like me to join them. And did you apply for a specific role, or was it here it are my skill set? It wasn't specific roles when you're employee number twenty. Let's be fair. And okay, that was okay. like 2017. It was like a previous like uh, so they're looking for brains, skills, experience, yes, and yes. yeah. Uh, it, I think it was exactly the time when it was. St- beginning to be called Parity before because that it was like if core uh, okay. Like, okay. So I joined Parity, and maybe I was one of the first people who like legitimately joined Parity, and not someone different like named business. So this was around the time of uh, hack, and we we had Phil on the show a couple of weeks ago. He was telling us about this hack. You arrived just before that happened, or just yeah, after I that arrived like two weeks before the second Parity hack was the seventh. So you, so it, it, blood is not on your hands as far as that that hack goes. Uh, what I really enjoyed in part of that time that it was like absolutely a blameless culture, like the best you get in the management handbook on how to handle those situations. It's like, okay, what took us there? What do we do next? What do, like, how do we recover and so on? And nothing, like no blame was flying across the table. That was spectacular after working. Like even the very good workplaces, I'm blessed by picking the like ethical and responsible and nice places to work. But that was like something next level. And that was made me like truly fall in love. And I stayed in Parity for five years. That's my longest employment in a single place, like in my whole career. So what uh, what role did you end up taking in Parity? Uh, well, I joined as a Rust engineer. We didn't even have that notion of like someone being core and someone being networking and someone being uh, something else. So like ah. I was in 2017, I was able to like write Rust. That was like pretty like ahead of the curve. Uh-huh. And I joined and two weeks after Parity Hack happened. And of course, as new joiner with two weeks of like work experience, I don't have much on my hands. And I seem to care about us not falling into the hack the third time in a row, because that was the second parity hack. That's humiliating enough. So I started picking up tasks like, oh, how, what do we do better? Like, how do we like uh, re- view everything we do about smart contracts? What are the sensible policies to put in place so we don't get hacked further and further? And then turns out that I'm responsible for that whole area of the business. And half a year after, our then CTO Fred approached me and he asked me if I want to become an officially appointed head of security because apparently they needed one. And I said, fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) That's scary. Like, it's one thing about, like, you volunteer and you step up and you see a, like, vacuum in, like, some work nobody wants to do. Because, like, let's be fair, that part of security work is pretty boring and grueling because Uh it is less about coding exciting things. And it's about, like, you know, uh, counting the screws which go into the, like, widget you're producing to make Mm. sure that no extra screw fall down in the engine and so on. Oh. This is meticulous and this is like policy writing and this is like negotiation writing. Quite a lot of talking to engineers and telling them that they cannot play the games they enjoy playing the most and they need to like play it safe instead. Mm. Uh, it wow. requires 
humility yeah. and focus, but turns out that it requires quite a lot of empathy. And this is what I would claim makes me suitable for this role. Not because I'm super security cognizant, but like because I care about people doing their work and not suffering from the, you know, those, oh, that security guy comes to us again and he asks us to like comply with the policy again. That never happened on my watch in Pirates. And I pretty much proud that I can find the better approaches to problems like that. Never thought about it that way. That's so interesting. Because security is like never a problem of the code you have, but of the process you have around that code. And that, comes, the code. that is com consisting mostly of people and much less of the tooling. You can throw in tooling in the mix, mm -hmm. but your major battlefield is the head of the engineer. And if you get there, mm. you get perfect security. And like not perfect, like, come on, don't. <laughs> I didn't mean that. But like you get... <laughs> so much ahead. Uh, example of that is like at Parity, we always had pretty laissez-faire bring your own device policy. We mm. never had any centralized managed security policies or something like mm, that. Okay. But like instead of that, we had extremely thorough security conversations with everyone who joins. Uh, I spent okay. three, four hours just covering all the bases of like, do you know about this threat vector? Do you know that like you need to have a password manager? That may help you onboard that. Not because I tell you so, but like I will show you how your life will improve and you don't have to remember like any terrible like letter and digit combinations anymore. And that takes time and effort. But after that, we had zero major OPSEC incidents on my watch. Yeah, someone accidentally clicks on the phishing link in the browser or like something like that. Yeah. But nothing major happens after because everyone's on the same page. This is so much better than installing a, like, you know, the NL probe on everyone's laptop, not letting them to do the common bad things. Yeah, yeah, right. What's a good password manager you'd recommend to people, by the way? Uh, depends. Like, that is unfortunately like a very common answer from everyone. Uh, who, okay. Because as I said, security is a trade-off. Mm. And for the very particular uh, set of requirements, you might find different trade-offs. Like, do you want team collaboration or do you want to do your thing alone? Mm. Do you mind having a paid subscription or do you prefer like not depending on having to pay someone? Mm. That might not only be a pricing choice that is a very stupid thing to save you money on, but like imagine you are running a protests in Russia and you need a good cybersecurity against like Russian like authoritarian leadership and at the same time you cannot use international credit cards to pay hmm. so like some subscription services aren't available for you even if they're good wow so, or like they are available now but they might become unavailable three months after like is that like going to compromise your security because you don't have access to your paid for password manager later all those things require very intricate conversations and yeah, even like in our field, people very frequently shortcut that. Oh, I know the answer. Here you are. You cannot get uh, wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I try not to give in to that folly. <laughs> You're eventually chief yeah, security I, I, officer, like, right? As, like as my position mm. evolved in Pirate, I took the chief information security officer position. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is like mostly semantical difference from me because head of security is more engineering position. Mm. It is mostly focused on the code base and like the actual like Ethereum and then the Polkadot clients and securing them. Mm -hmm. But focus of someone on the C-level is mostly people and an organization. Right. And like I needed to signify the transfer because like Pirate grew and grew and I'm employee number 20, but like it grew to like something like 200 uh, something people. Yeah. And this is, you cannot know everyone in the face anymore. 
And that means that, okay, I need to do some engineering of organization in a way that it maintains itself to the security stance, which I find reasonable. So I'm not looking in the code base anymore, and I'm instead setting up the processes which do that for me, which I'm super proud, and I think Parity still runs on some processes I set up. Like there is a retainer with uh, SR Labs, uh, one of the most renowned companies in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also known for like other ridiculous things, like stealing the fingerprints of the German Minister of Defense to show the... and conveniently printing them on a 3D printer so like a, a, a like smartphone can be unlocked with that technology and they did that by just getting a high-res photo of her holding a glass as far as I remember. Wow. So they are like good people with a huge range of experiences and we set up a process in which they are not only reviewing us like you know like auditors which give you a like long PDF with what went wrong or not. Sure. But like there is a collaboration, there is like continuous maintenance of the security position which they find appropriate, which is like not what many businesses succeeded in doing. Right. That is a little bit pricey, but most importantly, that is requires very careful consideration of engineering overheads. Because those people who review the code, they need to be involved in all the decision making and they should be aware of like how your code base evolves and so on. But they shouldn't be like they shouldn't be reporting to you because otherwise your business considerations would overweight the... Uh, so they need to maintain this independence which allows them to say, hey, no, stop. Hmm. That's bullshit. I wouldn't allow that. Can you give an example, maybe especially from your earlier days, of a policy you uh, tried to implement that was a challenge? Oh, like we like struggled like several iterations of no Windows policy as the devices for the company. No Windows. Yeah, that, that is just like makes a uh, job of... Uh, security team so much easier because Windows is designed not for individual users. Windows is designed for the huge multi-thousand people operations. Yeah. And there, certain different security practices make sense. For example, like having a centralized management is what all those organizations opt in. Or having like a very careful, iterated approach to rolling out the patches. And that means that patches on Windows generally only like arrive on certain day of the week. So, mm. and that day of the week is not Friday. So if you're like vulnerable on Friday, they will postpone the release of a patch till the next week. Just so like the IT guys wouldn't have to patch that on like Saturday like oh morning. God. Yeah, okay. Uh, but that means that you're vulnerable for some time and you need to cover it up with some other tooling on top. This is why antivirus and like firewall and so on are so much more essential for Windows. See. Uh, we didn't want to mess with that. We didn't want that overhead because if you're running like 100, 200 people organizations, it's easier to say, no, we'll retrain everyone to run Mac. Yeah, okay. And that sort of like played out well, but like every once in a while someone, hey, but I need Windows this, I need Windows that. And mm. there were like, not carve-outs, but there were like special cases. Like, yeah, there are legitimate reasons why Windows might be necessary. A very obvious reason like that is, oh, you're developing a blockchain node. Should it be tested and built on the Windows machine? And the answer, hell yes. That's a big market share anyway. Yes, right. So you need that. But like, how do you build your engineering in a way that they have all the Windows access they want, but at the same time, they don't default by to developing on Windows because that's easier for them? Uh, and that requires both training and like other like different ways of expertise. Yeah, wow. What got you to this? You're working at Parity. 
When do you think the idea to make a, a product like this started with you? Uh, well, I think then Apple announced that they discontinuing iPod Touches because we were working on that, uh, like, despite me technically being responsible for the security, and that is very, like, organizational-facing role, yeah. I managed to also be in charge for, the, like, some duration of time of that product, which is called Pirate Designer. Pirate Designer, yes. And Pirate Designer is a software which can turn you old phone in the reasonably secure crypto wallet for Ethereum and uh, then Polkadot ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And it has some benefits over like uh, competition with hardware wallets. For example, a big, colorful uh, touchscreen is a pretty good thing if you want to inspect your complicated transaction. Mm -hmm. uh, or like the way that it doesn't have any wires which require you to connect to the USB because like you can never see what goes through the USB. Like there is no way to audit that some backdoor is not manipulating your plugged-in hardware wallet over the USB connection. So Pirate Designer is a very narrow attack surface mm -hmm. thing. And that is like QR code goes in through the camera, and that is all the information signer needs to know about the external world. Then you see the transaction, you type in your PIN code, or like you use the touch ID, or like some combination of those. Mm -hmm. This is debatable what is the proper degree of security there. And then you see a QR code, and then you explicitly show it to your computer to send the signature back from the device. Yep. So there is very narrow surface which can leak your keys. and. Yeah, still there are some problems. And the major problem is that if you do that with a phone, most 3G modems have what's called DMA, direct memory access, because that's how they accelerate all the like computations on your phone and so on. Mm -hmm. And are you actually okay with there being a second computer of your phone, which has direct memory access to your like priority vault uh, secrets and so on? Okay. So that's why we actually recommended iPod Touches if you need that extra notch of security. Once again, uh, as I said, like uh, the security is always a trade-off, and yes. like for different in inputs, you will get different uh, security policies, including inside of the company. And I used to get into the problems by giving two people contradictory advice, and then they go to each other and they, hey, you advised me to do that. No, Kirill advised me never do that. And like people go to me, come to me and ask, what the hell? And answer is. Your situations, your priors are different. Yes, right. The context is different. Yeah. So you were working on Parity Signer while you're still at Parity? Yes. Okay. Uh, that was like one of my areas uh, where I helped the company. Yeah. And uh, yeah, basically I oversaw its transformation from Ethereum focused tool to uh, Polkadot uh, and Substrate focused tool. Okay. And okay. I rolled out couple of rather riveting, not like I coded it myself. Unfortunately, I wish I would be more involved in that. That's mm -hmm. super satisfying. But yeah, my role was in arranging, supervising, mm -hmm. and so on. And all this concept of signer being future-proof by updating metadata, including the development of a special like primitives of those Quarf videos and like specific erasure encoding uh, crypto primitives, which I used in there, mm -hmm. uh, they were developed under my watch. I still wish for the future where metadata can be more fluidly de deployed on the signing devices, both for Campbell's sake and for the Polkadot's sake. Uh -huh. And Ledger also benefits from that, yeah. as far as I think. Mm. But uh, for the time being, that was much better decision because updates for Polkadot, they happen every month, like roughly. And for Ledger, that means that there needs to be a new Ledger up updates certified by Ledger every month, which yes. is 
certified so and, uh, and uh, audited, right? Oh, yeah. The problem with Ledger is that you cannot build a hardware wallet which supports any arbitrary crypto, including like ridiculous ones, like IOTA ternary encryption, whatever the hell is that, okay. and do that on chip. So mm. the only way for Ledger to work is to output some private key into the main memory where the chain-specific application manipulates that. Mm. But if chain-specific code can manipulate that, in theory, it can run away with it and steal your keys. Really? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. So to protect against that, they did like multi-tiered system. Mm -hmm. The first is they never give a seed phrase, never give this like actual root to the application. Instead, they do derivations and they give you a derivation that's mandatory. But even that is not enough. So like they supervise and uh, review every update of every app and app wouldn't work on your ledger without them undersigning the app that's safe, not running away with your key. And that review definitely doesn't scale well to having one review a month for every parachain in Polkadot ecosystem. Yes, yes. And that has been a huge contention point for like ecosystem and development uh, to the extent that Ledger suggested if uh, like vendors of Polkadot apps would bring their own security reviews every update they're rolling out. That is extra staff, that is extra latency and so on. And imagine something is wrong with your validation one day after runtime upgrade has happened, but that runtime upgrade role, like renders your ledger current app in capable of signing because something changed in the format of signatures. And at the same time, you have to wait till like some reviewer will review and then ledger will certify and that may take one or two weeks extra. That is not a problem in the original ledger model, once again, not to blame them. Because if you're building something as a Bitcoin wallet, Bitcoin yes. upgrades once every two years, you have all the time in the world to do all the review you want. So, but that is inadequate for something so fastly moving. Yeah. And this is why the concept of metadata and shipping metadata on the device emerged. And metadata is some sort of like dictionary Facebook, which you use to put bytes in the transaction in the human readable form. And we currently like shifting the whole market of all the hardware devices to be metadata aware so they can not commit to the particular way of representing transactions to the user, but instead they can read the actual up-to-date metadata, which is provided by chain, and then can use that to show you what exactly you are signing. Yes. There are some trade-offs on how to make that secure, but like we are once again in Azimologist, we are like uh, receivers of a grant to do research and development and bring new features to the substrate, which would allow us to do that in the most secure way. And this is your recent breakthrough, actually, so we can create a generalized Polkadot or substrate yes. app, actually. Yes, this is a breakthrough even in a very honest sense that like there is a couple of like novel crypto primitives which have never been used for this uh, purpose before. And wow. we were able to pull that off, assemble that in a like sound crypto protocol to handle that. Bigger picture, that's the only thing which stops us from shipping uh, Campylus on the main market because we want that to be finalized. We want that to be accepted by the new runtimes which are released by Fellowship. And then we commit to that in the firmware which goes to the Campylus. Gotcha. On the uh, sticking with Ledger here for a second, did Ledger have to change anything? Yes. Well, now, as I said, like we are only one of the core like receivers of the grant, and Sondax does a great yeah. job at developing a Ledger app, which 
implements the same crypto, mm-hmm. but we're facing a very different difficulties. Mm-hmm. For Campbell, for Polkadot world, it is mostly about how to do that, mostly like crypto secure and what are the reasonable like protocols to do that. And they are like low on bandwidth because like you are mostly limited by the QR code scanning uh, technology or NFC uh, bandwidth, which is pretty low hmm. in case of Campbell. But for Ledger, they are most limited by what the hardware allows them because Ledger S has like four kilobytes of the operating system memory. So good luck fitting a novel crypto primitive in the four kilobytes of RAM together with the transaction. Good luck as in impossible? Oh, no, it's possible. It requires us, and in particular our research team, to do quite some alterations. So the primitives we are using are constant on memory and restricted on memory, and they fit in the ledger's requirements as well. So that is like as good as it gets, I guess. But yeah, ledger is getting the universal uh up hopefully like as soon as the protocol is finalized as well. Uh, there is a matrix room and there are like grant reports which are published every month, I think, where you can follow up. We're a little bit ahead of the promised timelines, which is a good thing to have. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that by the end of the year that will be like implemented and delivered in the like some production network. I, of course, cannot claim that, oh, Polkadot governance will definitely accept all the runtime upgrades which require that to work because I'm not in charge of Polkadot governance, but <laughs> it will be ready to for that. Gorgeous. Okay, so since we have you here, maybe you can help uh, us, um, uh, some of our audience, to orient themselves on this security spectrum as far as uh, what wallets they may use to interact with their own assets. Maybe the most common... Uh, interface somebody might use is like uh, a MetaMask, a browser extension. So where does this implementation excel and where is it vulnerable? If you store your key in a browser extension, yes, uh, you should be worried about like two major things. One major thing is that your key is actually stored somewhere on disk of your computer, which is like not the Fort Knox in terms of like attackers getting into there. Okay. Uh, and like, especially if you're signing something with that key, the uh, key will be de- decrypted and put in the main operating memory and no currently like consumer operating systems do that great of a job of isolating one program from being picked by another. Oh. Maybe you've heard about like those like different like micro architecture attacks and so on, which allow, for example, one browser tab to read the content of another in the browser, those things are unavoidable in the current CPU architecture without incredible overheads of like putting quite a lot of blast doors around them, okay. which would make your consumer grade hardware <laughs> poorly usable. But another thing is that the software you use itself is also available. It's also stored on the same hard drive. So like if you get hacked, it might be that your MetaMask. And I've actually seen those in the wild. I've seen people being delivered malware, which is backdoored MetaMask, which shows you not a transaction which you actually sign. And you think that this is well intended, but when you sign, it sends something like easier or harder to capture. For example, I've seen like fake MetaMask attack, which replaces some parameters of your multisig. So like when you initiate a multisig transaction, instead of just like letting you to sign something different, it changes only the destination address and I think amount was also altered. 
in the hope that the person who is another cosigner of the same multisig account just do it. Yeah, because like there is oh, this is the hex of a call, and like there is no that great of a UI for you to verify it. Yeah, and like that guy actually called you on the phone and said, "Hey, can you co-sign? I'm transferring like my salary, like payouts to this, like to crack and to like pay people salary, yeah. so on." And I said, "Yeah, okay, yes." Yeah. So type in the password and, and then. Uh, but somebody. actually, like your money you had been stolen. This is like actually like pretty cunning, clever, and people would do that for a million or two euros. So like this is the price of the security you have for MetaMask itself. Okay. And the answer to that is like if you have a general purpose computer, this is only that much of a security you can have have on it for practical reasons. So probably it's wise to have both keys and transaction rendering on some other device. This is why Pirate Designer is important. This is why Ledger is important. This is why Campbell is important. Mm -hmm. They segregate what you use day to day, which is like ultimately hackable from something which is much less hackable. Mm -hmm. And then the question is like, how much of much less hackable do you want in exchange of how much of convenience and convenience? Yes, okay. So there, there is a place for these these wallets in your browser, like maybe for oh, experimenting. Yeah. Especially and... like in, uh, if we're talking about a MetaMask and Ethereum, but like something in uh, Polkadot uh, world, yeah. there is a whole set of primitives which helps you to better fit your day-to-day -day use within browser wallets with your bigger picture. Those are proxied accounts. You can assign proxies. There is a very incredibly like state-of-the-art support for the multisix, uh, mm. which is like better than anything I've seen in other networks. Mm. Um, like with deterministic multisigs and a quite clever way of handling what like transaction looks like in multisigs. For example, like multisigs on substrate, they are not disclosing what you're multi-signing on unless the final signature is in. Hmm. So nobody has like extra time to front run you by inspecting what you are trying to collaborate with your peers on. Uh, that is like a rare, but like frequently desired feature. Because like arranging multisigs in the complicated setups mm -hmm. might take an hour or two. Mm -hmm. Proxies on Polkadot, they have this concept of delayed proxies. So like when you fire up, oh, I want this call to be enacted using my proxy powers. And those proxy powers give some time frame, which counts in blocks. And it can be like four hours, 24 hours, depending on your work policy, in which time that can be easily cancelable. Mm -hmm. but it cannot be enacted. So like you get a f like some leeway for other monitoring tools to pick it up and uh, chill, like react if that is not a desired uh, transaction to handle. Mm -hmm. And that lowers the threshold of trust you need to put into the day-to-day -day operation of like, it is not necessary a browser wallet. It can be another wallet on your phone or like Talisman wallet on your desktop or like there are other tools like Spectre or uh, Mutex, which are aimed at the specific use cases and they're leveraging those special uh, tooling which is available in Substrate and not in many other ecosystems to make that fund handling much better. But in the essence, somewhere deep down below, there is, oh, there is a key which handles like $100 million or like whatever is you know, at stakes for you. Yeah, yeah. It is possible to not have that key, but in many cases, you want to have that key. Hmm. And that might be, for example, compliance reasons. Do you owe that money? Can you prove that to the law authorities? If it's somewhere on the account where nobody has the key, how right. do you prove that like this is your like 
redeemable active. That would be a situation where there's the keys thrown away or it was never shown, but it's proxy to There is account. a concept of keyless proxy in the yeah, okay, And that okay. is account which is guaranteed not to have a private key. Yes. Which can only be operated by proxy powers. Understood, yeah. But then the question is like, who owns the money there? And in different legal systems, the answer is different. Hmm. So you might need to have the actual key. And then the answer, like, where do you put it securely if that's like the whole funding for your startup for the next five years? That's interesting, yeah. What do you think about mobile applications, key stored in mobile? Do you, do you what, where, where are the attack factors there in a mobile phone? Uh, funnily enough, Situation is both better and worse yeah. on mobile. So, like once again, like multi-dimensional trade-offs, like right, on right, my right. bread and butter. Apple's devices ha- all have those uh, trusted platform modules. Yeah, and most of the high-end Android phones have them as well. And this is makes biometrics you, and things like this. It is less about biometrics. Like biometrics is a nice byproduct of that, but like I genuinely wouldn't put much trust in biometrics because they are so easily lost stealable. I didn't so tell you that story. For, I just meant this is where they're stored on this uh, trusted environment, no? Uh, we need to take Apple's word on that. Uh, I see, I see. Uh, but most importantly, that's a place where some keys are stored and those keys are guaranteed ne- to never leave the device. So if you want to encrypt something with a key which cannot be stolen, this is where you put that key. And that is like extra safety margin in comparison to what you have on a desktop, on a typical desktop well trusted, uh, trusted platform module. Hmm. Because normally you only encrypt with the secret which your custom, like user gives you. And this is why your password needs to be extremely long because attacker has all the time in the world to brute force all the possible passwords. So they need to be restrained by this way. Mm-hmm. But if you have a special key which never leaves TPM, and TPM can give you can give you only like 10 attempts to brute force the pin, four-digit pin is fine. Mm-hmm. And that becomes like much more user-friendly without sacrificing the actual security. Mm-hmm. With a drawback of like, okay, if that's, you need to migrate from device to device, okay, you're screwed now. Uh, but that can be handled by a different kind of protocol. Understood. Uh, but what phones are lacking in exchange, like they're much more monocultural, especially Apple ones. So like if there is an exploit, and for, as we record this, there is a recently mitigated exploit in a Safari browser on iOS including, and that is once again allows one Safari page to read the contents of any other Safari page on the device, including um, most of the Electron, like React Native and so on apps which are in uh, your iOS. They are required in one or another form to use uh, mobile Safari for rendering, which is good from Apple's perspective, yeah. bad from sec- general security perspective. So your browser can be the dub browser in your novel wallet, even if that's, that's a what I was going to ask, yeah, okay. Not super nice outcome security-wise. super nice, yes. At least on the desktop, you are free to pick, oh, I do that in Chrome, and I do this in Firefox, and they're different, so exploiting one doesn't necessarily ah. triggers like violations of a security model in another one. Ah, okay. You already spoke about uh, Ledger. Yes. I mean, obviously, what Ledger's achieved is, is fantastic. Uh, everybody has access to a hardware wallet, but you did say there's some manufacturing defects. Oh, like everyone has manufacturing defects. Come on, that's bread and butter of hardware uh, production line uh-huh. is to have quality control and then like figuring out the clever ways of dealing with those defects. It's less about that and more about like if you have something with mechanical moving parts. Yeah. 
it is really tough to satisfy both oh it needs to be like dust resistant and water resistant and mechanically reliable in the long term under the vast amount of different like temperature ranges humidity ranges and so on this is there is no easy solution to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, our solution with Kampala was to not have anything mechanical in the device at all. No keyboard, no ports, no nothing. Just a solid piece of plastic, it appears, yeah. at this stage. Yeah, and solid piece of plastic is, makes it more complicated and less uh, uh, rewarding in monetary sense as well. Because uh-huh. in Ledger, you have that case. And like cases, like, yeah, they have that uh, ultrasonic uh, soldering, but that is still like unmountable if you want to. So if your ledger doesn't pass the quality control, so you can dismount it and you can like either fix it with like resoldering some parts or you can just like refurbish it or figure out some other clever ways of reusing all the components you put in there. Hmm. If you have Kampala, which is like cast in the solid brick of epoxy and it doesn't pass the test of required quality, mm-hmm. the only way you can do shred it. There is no way you regain anything of those pretty expensive components on board <laughs> okay. like without like ruining everything. So mm. we are not the most like commercially savvy people probably like but we bring you more security by doing that. And our goal is to make something which would still op- work for you 20 years from now. Very few electronic manufacturers aspire to get to those numbers nowadays. Because in, in, with the ledger, for instance, what what part of Ledger do I have to trust? Where is trust involved? Once again, depending on like what of the C, I, and A you're concerned about. Okay. If you talk about confidentiality, the most like weakest part is like either USB connection or like some of them are even having Bluetooth, which is even harder to like. If I would put a backdoor in Ledger, this will be the way I would steal your key. Okay. Once again, like I'm not saying that putting backdoor in Ledger is super feasible, even though I was on that presentation on the uh, uh, CCC, I think it was CCC number 36, where people put a snake game without like Ledger's authorization on Ledger. So some approaches can be taken. Mm-hmm. No software is perfect. Mm-hmm. But like if I am to steal the keys subsequently, I would violate your confidentiality through either like way you ledger communicates with the external world. If I am to compromise your integrity, I would yeah, introduce some faults in the electronics, hmm. which is like accessible and I can solder or like I can electroshock something through the USB port. And then, ah, okay. Yeah, and that is also like the way to attack availability. Or I will have to reset your ledger, by the way, and I will like erase uh, things from your memory. And I think that is possible without knowing the pin. I don't remember. That might not be the case. My, I might be imagining things. Okay. But... Those other things I will try. Hmm. Uh, or like, I will swap your ledger with another one, maybe with a backdoored one, which even like mm. transmits the pin outside. Like, how do you know that this ledger you hold is a legitimate one, is yours? Uh, okay. There are so many attacks, and like, they are very specific to the ways you handle it. Because like, for example, if that ledger like lies in your safe in the office and it requires two people, simultaneous keys to open it, to take it away, and yeah. never leaves the field of view of one of them. Maybe like swapping it for another one requires sound like um, like Hollywood movie level of like uh, I see okay magic but if you are someone who stores it in your drawer of a desk and you go on extensive vacations maybe that's a legitimate problem for you if you're a known crypto holder and that's again like for example if you cross the border with Ledger does that mean that everyone knows that you're a crypto holder now? 
if you're going to the regime which is not necessarily computer friendly, would you get in trouble? Mm. And that's where, for example, like iPod Touch with a Polkadot world is better. Because, oh, that's my it's iPhone. It's my iPod. It's my iPhone. Uh, yeah, it's old, but like I still love it. Like music is so, sounds great. And yes. You are getting a free pass on that. And like, yeah, Ledger had that leak all the customers uh, database once. Speaking of Ledger being stored in someone's desk at that address, right? Yeah, right. Okay, so um, what makes Compla different? How is this a, how is this the attack factors on this slimmer? Oh, we took like ridiculous level of doing commercially unfeasible ways to make it like the most uh, secure thing you can like still find some market to sell to. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, ah. It is fully open hardware and open software. Like mm -hmm. this is like not given and like most of the players on the market are not that. Mm -hmm. um, they are mainly constrained by the secure elements that they use to store. Like those you typically require NDA signing. So they are like the hands are tied and we were super carefully vetting the vendors of the chips, which doesn't require us to sign any NDAs. Uh, and to complement that open hardware, like, yeah, you probably can solder it if you can solder the like small S&D parts, they are tiny and like not everyone has a steady hands to do that. Okay. But like, even if you purchase it from us or someone else who manufactures that, uh, it is one layer, one side PCB. So like you open up PDF, you take your Campola, it's transparent, and you see piece by piece that there is no like uh -huh. uh, shenanigans. There are no okay. unexpected parts. And we, that's part of the transparency here, so you can yes, verify absolutely. the components. Yeah, that's yeah. an important part for us. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, it could be thinner if it would be multiply, um, multi-layer PCB, but that will make audit harder. Also, we don't have like, we only do discrete components. It doesn't have like multiple microprocessors. It has only one microprocessor and everything mm. else is easily understandable uh, discrete component like a capacitor or something like that. Uh, and that means like it is really hard to hide something in there because you have one uh, computer, like one CPU, it runs single program. But like if you have another controller, maybe there is a backdoor in the second one. How do you trust it? Where is the firmware for that? So that was important design consideration. Uh, we really tried hard to make it one-way uh, radio wave uh, capable uh, because your phone needs to know that there is an NFC chip. So the NFC chip needs to respond to your phone mm -hmm. in order to activate the full power of transmission. Otherwise, it will be yelling the radio waves in the void, which is not energy cognizant. So my phone, which is acting as a camera, as, a, as an eye for the Campola. Yeah. It, or like maybe novel wallet and you offer your transaction right in the wallet. But like mm. then it needs to get your transaction to Campola. But your Campola cannot tell to your phone that, hey, I'm there, please yell at me. Yeah. So instead we have that tiny inset and that inset is what your phone thinks that it's talking to. And Campella is just a passive eavesdropping device, which by accident can make sense of the radio waves which are streaming past it. So my phone is communicating with this chip and yes. the Campella is listening to it. Yes. And that's the only way we can guarantee to you that Campella never speaks radio waves. So. Why are they separate? Oh, so you can see that we are not connected. So like ah. this thing, the tiny thing, yeah. it responds. So if it will be connected to the main board, there will be like imaginary but still feasible chance of it running away with your key. So they are transparent. Of what running away? The device? 
Yeah, like key is on your device. Yes. Device should never speak any radio waves, right? Uh -huh. Otherwise, the, something on your screen, mm. you can inspect, you can make a screenshot, you can like see what's in there. It is hard to do that with radio waves, especially in the day-to-day -day, um, operation of a device. Hmm. So, but something needs to yell radio at your phone, so your phone gets into that back and forth exchange which NFC protocol requires. And because of that, we have this inset which is absolutely separate from everything else on Campbell on board. And it is easy for you to verify that the inset which say speaks radio doesn't have anything to do with Campbell itself. So like there is no way it can access the secret on board. Gotcha. Because you said it's all about compromises, would you share what compromises you made here to keep it commercially viable to that small section of uh, we, to a certain extent, sacrificed the future proof and universality. Like, it wouldn't, like, the commercial versions of Campella, what you're holding right now is a dev kit. That's right. Uh, but the commercial versions wouldn't have firmware upgradable. And that's a huge compromise, both in terms of, like, you cannot repurpose it for some different network 10 years from now. Huh. And it is a compromise from, oh, we need to get the firmware right from the beginning. We don't get it to iterate on that. That is a tough position to be in. Once, it, as I said, like we're a little bit insane in the trade-offs we're talking. Is it possible Polkadot could develop away from the firmware that you put in the commercial version where it would not be viable anymore? You would need the next device. Because if you make it reflashable, then you need to solve the whole set of problems with like, do you trust this firmware? Of course, of course. And so on. we don't want that. So instead, like, yeah, it is set in stone. It is never upgradable. And you get what you get from us. And that needs to be correct. And if you need Ethereum version, maybe you will develop it one day, one day, but like you would need to buy an extra one. You can have everything on a single device. I understand, I understand. But would would it would we ever be in a situation where Polkadot would no longer be compatible with the original firmware that you put in? Intended not to be in that position, but like that is possible because the governance and level of control of stakeholders over what happens on chain is incredible and they can always decide oh we will cut away all the couple access either by just making a technical decision which is not thought through that well or just by deliberately deciding that this is not desired anymore because of i don't know some reasons like we only want post-quantum crypto or something like that yeah right well like you say there's always trade-offs that's so fascinating the fact that we can never actually be truly safe we can never Truly escape destruction, actually. That is, I believe, in some sense, like you can never escape the entropy and like safety is in some sense, like, yeah, you need to put in more and more energy just to stay alive. I'm very happy to be holding this version and thank you so much for sharing it with me. Um, You're Thank you so much for all the work you're doing as well and the work you did in the past that's keeping us all secure today. We appreciate it so much. And um, Bring me more work. I'm looking for like contracts. I'm an independent security contractor. And independent security like contractors. Give looking. you more nuanced answers to the more nuanced questions. Yeah, of course, of course. All right, well, um, people follow you in the in the links below or, or yeah. attached to this post. And thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing your expertise with us today. It was a pleasure to have this conversation. Thank you.